Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's September 28th, 2023, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in the crypto space. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. Uh, joining you from Brazil this week. So I've been soaking up the sun, drinking caipirinhas. I'm I'm amazed that I actually made it to our recording time today. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Uh, no, very, very jealous as our, ex- in, in fairness, extended summer has kind of began to peter out. But, you know, we're getting into October over here in the UK. It's been pretty reasonable, at least. So can't complain a whole lot. But uh, yeah, not as not as nice as the uh, Brazilian sunshine, I I imagine. Ah, it's always nice to have a have a break from the freaking hundred plus degrees of heat in Texas. I'll tell you what, man, uh, it gets yeah, out of control. But yeah, <laughs> well, hey, speaking of heat, we are bringing the heat today with two interesting stories in the crypto space. Let's dig into it. Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. We got something uh, that's not super positive for the UK that we're gonna we're gonna dig a little bit into. But on the other side, we're gonna talk a little bit about the Web three space. And I guess like while NFTs are down badly across the board, I think there is one project that is a an example of actually bridging the gap between the masses and the web3 space and showing an interesting business model. So let's let's dive straight in. So we're going to talk a little bit about a somewhat popular uh, NFT project. You may have heard of it. It's called Pudgy Penguins. And the reason why we're going to talk about uh, yeah, you know, it's just another normal day, right? Uh, and the, well, the reason why we're going to talk about this is because they've just landed a pretty significant deal with the world's largest retailer, Walmart, to sell toys across 2,000 of their stores. That is no mean feat. That is a big deal. Um, but what the hell has this got? to do with NFTs and Web3. Well, <clears throat> let's let's kind of dig into this a little bit because I think this is a very interesting situation. And I actually think that while the whole of the NFT space is really down quite bad and has started to have a bit of an identity crisis, if I'm completely honest, this is an example of a real brand being built here and most importantly monetizing outside of just the realms of speculative crypto investors so let's let's I'm just not start lie, with Matt. Uh, when when I hear real brand and moving the space forward, the the words pudgy and penguin were not what I expected us to be talking about. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we only cover the big stories here, uh, <clears throat> but actually, you know, this is a pretty big story, and I it, it the reason why I really wanted to talk about this as well is it's really easy to dismiss this as a silly thing, and mm-hmm. um, and it actually just isn't. Um, at all. And I'll, I'll explain why I, I have that take here. Um, <clears throat> now, 
is what I'm going to tell you uh, really going to showcase the value of NFTs? Mm, not so much, but um, <clears throat> I think that this is going to at least be an eye-opening example of how a Web3 brand can be built. So let, let's just start with a bit of background because many people listening, unless they've been in the, the NFT space, are probably not that familiar with Pudgy Penguins. They launched as a PFP collection back in July of 2021 in the, the midst of the kind of NFT hysteria. They have a collection of 8,888 NFTs, and it was founded by a couple of college students, uh, Cole Villeman and uh, Clayton Patterson. And they had set out this big, ambitious roadmap, promising a bunch of stuff. Um, and really, the whole focus of Pudgy Penguins was to be this kind of, I guess, a uh, I guess they set out initially to be a, a brand that really appealed to kids and they were looking to bridge the the mainstream uh, with with some of this. They'd set out a roadmap. It was talking about they were going to mint a token, of course, but they were also going to produce a children's book and create a whole virtual world game revolving around uh, the, the pudgy penguins. If you haven't guessed already, they are kind of just cute little penguins, These these PFPs. But let's just say this wasn't the most stable leadership that has ever founded a project. And that that takes a lot of doing for even the NFT space for me to make that statement. But in the beginning of 2022, like around about a year later, both the co-founders were ousted from the project. There was a governance vote in Discord. The community had like a ton of uproar at the time. Basically... The founders had failed to complete any of the goals that they laid out. They obviously made a ton from the initial mint of the NFTs. They pretty much shipped nothing. And a few big voices in the community had accused them of just basically draining the company's treasury, paying themselves out um, a bunch and not really delivering anything back, <clears throat> as has been the case through many, many PFP projects. And then something happened in April of 2022. And it's not actually something that we've seen a whole lot. And that was that the Pudgy Penguins IP and all of the associated like assets was acquired. And it was acquired by an individual by the name of Luca Nets uh, of Nets Capital. Um, pretty young guy, but his whole background was in e-commerce and he'd done a ton of stuff on the retail side of things. He'd had a, and has still got a few successful, pretty large businesses, uh, some of which where he's managed to have like products in, you know, these tiny little retail outlets called Target. Uh, so pretty big deal to, to get merchandise uh, homegrown like merchandise into huge stores like that. That is very, very difficult. And that's his whole bag. He bought the Pudgy Penguins brand and IP for 750 ETH. So it's around about $2.5 million at the time. And the, <clears throat> the, the goal from the beginning was really to start building out this, this Pudgy Penguins brand. And I think appealing to the, um, 
I guess like kind of the kids side of the the market, but I think also still some of that Web3 core. And what they did is earlier this year, they launched their line of plushy toys called Pudgy Toys. So um, the, the toys themselves, they're just kind of, they're based on the designs of the, the Penguin NFTs. Um, but each toy has a paired NFT to it. So it can be accessed as like a QR code on the on the toy. It's very optional. They don't use the term NFT, kind of Reddit star, right? It's like a collectible. Um, but this is just like an, an a value add on top of this. But what does it do? It gets you access to Pudgy World, their kind of online portal. And <clears throat> when you sign up, if you're not like a crypto native, it creates a crypto wallet for you in a very abstracted way, right? So you're not worrying about all of this. And you get both a soulbound and a tradable NFT inside your, your crypto wallet. But the so the, the NFT that you get, one of them is like a unique birth certificate. And that allows the the user to claim like unique traits for their um forever pudgy character inside pudgy worlds it's kind of like their their digital version so they've tried to really just make this like a fun enjoyable game it's not about speculating on assets these this really is just about connecting kind of these toys this cute fun little brand with a digital experience as well, like we've seen many, many times outside of the Web3 space. Um, I remember at the time, huge amount of skepticism of who the hell is going to buy these toys. NFT collectors probably don't want like soft toys. Turns out the brand was pretty strong. They actually made uh, half a million in sales. They sold 20,000 units in the 48 hours following their release. They did all of these over Amazon. Um and when you actually look at the toys, I, I've seen a lot of like merch and stuff that's been created by, I mean, quote unquote, biggest brands in the crypto space, like um, Yuga Labs and co. And it's been pretty crappy. These look very legit. Um, they <clears throat> they worked with like a really, a really good uh, kind of product and merchandising company that work with a bunch of just like regular toy brands and they have kind of these plushy toys they've launched multiple lines now they have like the um figurines kind of like the pop type uh, figurines as well and what's kind of clear here is they are not aiming directly at the crypto market the focus is to just sell to regular people leveraging the brand ip and then just add in these kind of web3 elements as just additional to this so that's the background. Things have been ticking on nicely. <clears throat> and now comes the Walmart deal. Walmart is the world's largest retailer. And it is not easy to get your merchandise in Walmart, let alone across a significant number of their stores. <clears throat> They've actually managed to uh, strike an agreement to have their Pudgy Penguins uh, toys, the, the Pudgy toys, across 2,000 stores in the U.S., um, so the price range of $2.99 to $11.97. There's 26 different toys, including, I think there's like their plush buddies, clip-on plushies, igloo collectibles, and then those uh, action figures I was talking about. And what they've also done is they've done like a few of these toys in the range that are just exclusive to 
to Walmart and I saw an, uh, an interview with the VP of merchandising for, for toys at Walmart and um, Brittany Smith, she said, Pudgy Penguins is bridging the gap between our physical and digital worlds of play for kids in a really engaging way. And their price point is right in line with the goal of providing everyday low prices. A right, little bit of a sales pitch uh, in there as well. But the <clears throat> I think the TLDR area is like, clearly this brand that they're building is attracting attention. People are relating to it just in the regular world. We'll see how well the sales go in Walmart, but you know, it, it clearly feels like the leadership here behind this project is figuring figuring this out. And they're actually generating real revenue, leveraging the IP. Now, the NFT floor price <clears throat> is up over one ETH in, uh, since the start of the week. So that's up to five and a half ETH from 4.5 at the start of the week. Um, and, you know, the, the reason why I'd say this is I, I just, I'd go as far to say that this is the first example of Web3 truly making it into the mainstream with a revenue generating model. Um, and I, I think that's something that this team should be proud of is clearly just the, the beginning here. And I think from here, what we're going to see is a ton of NFT PFP projects try to launch toys, thinking that that's just the answer to their prayers and realizing very quickly that that is not easy thing to do um the real question comes though around like the nfts the original nfts right like <clears throat> i've seen loads of stuff on twitter where they're like oh yeah all this revenue is going to generate uh like flow back into the nfts it's just not the case i mean the, the i mean that would first of all that would make it the security um so let's not go down that that rabbit hole but um there is this disconnect between these NFTs. And I think ultimately, you know, that is a piece of the IP. But the story here is this is a brand and they have lots of different ways that they're utilizing the IP that they own. You've got this NFT collection that they've 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 launched. You've got this digital world. I think just the whole operation seems very professional, Austin. Like when you look on the website, all of the marketing yeah. material, it, it, it's like, you know, it feels like a real kid's brand. As a, as a father to a three and a half year old, I know kids' brands intimately, intimately well. Um, <laughs> and like, I look at this and I'd be like, yeah, my, like my daughter would love this. Like it, it just is like clearly like the thing. And I can imagine where they're going to go from this. Like it goes well. They, they have like books, you know, from there. I imagine they'll probably explore like little TV series or mini series like that. So you can kind of see how this whole thing plays out and they've got stories and stuff that are intertwined. But um, yeah, I, I just thought this is a really positive sign that shows and paves the way for how IP in the space can, can be leveraged. Is this the killer kind of use case for Web3. No, I I don't think that's the case. Does this mean PFP projects are going to flourish? No, I don't. But I do think this is an example of a Web3 brand onboarding non-crypto natives in a pretty value-add seamless way. Yeah, it's nice to see it make it all the way to such a great retail stage. And to your point, Matt, I mean, the the toys themselves, you know, multiple sizes, multiple different materials, it, it's a complex uh, a product that, that they've made. It doesn't look like it's mm. amateur. Hour. And, you know, the, the, their value prop is that they have over 
or that they have exactly 8,888 unique collectible penguins with proof of ownership. Um, and the website is like super well done. I, I like the sort of, you know, connection between between their their different products across the line, like ranging from, you know, the the, the little keychain toys all the way up to their, their bigger plushies and even uh, like, like digital things like gifts with the unique penguins dancing and things like that to t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can see they're definitely building out something interesting here. And and one of the things that, that has been wild to me about this has just been kind of, you know, you and I have actually been talking about this project for quite some time. Um, didn't always take it very seriously. And it's interesting to yep. see how, how it's evolved so quickly, especially under its new ownership. Yeah, and you know this is a this is a project that was on the brink of just dying, um, and the you've got to kind of take your hat off to Lucanets. He he saw an opportunity and he's executed in a very short timeline as well to go from yeah within like around a year, maybe a, a year and a half, and he's in Walmart. Right, that's like that's a that's a lot. Um, it's still a long that's way awesome. to go, you know, like. They still need to make that a success. Make no mistake, this will be a trial, right? With with Walmart, you don't just get kind of a free lunch there. You have to keep earning that spot. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's very positive. And I look at this and I'm like, most NFT projects have launched physical products that are paired with an NFT, right? But they're just, they're swag. This is not swag. These products are front and center of this project and this brand. And I think that's the the difference, right? This is like a consumer product uh, that that they are building and they're building a story around. Well, well, well it's, we'll it's it sort of a flipping of the priority, right? I think that they're, mm-hmm. the main part of their story is the physical retail product and the NFT is kind of a secondary aspect of that, uh, which is the opposite of, of what we've seen with most NFT uh, projects that, that bring physical products to the world. 100%. Yeah, they're, they're, they're leaning into being an actual like product first company, which is what you need to do if you want to be successful with a product. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, yeah, the, the Web3 experience is additive, ultimately optional as well. And uh, I think that's that's what makes this pretty interesting. All right, let's jump into our second story of the day. Chase Bank UK has banned crypto transactions. So you may be familiar, especially if you're Matt and you're based in the UK, (laughs) with uh, JP Morgan's retail bank, Chase Bank UK. Um, They are now stopping British customers from buying cryptocurrencies starting on October 16th. And this includes buying digital assets on a Chase debit card and transferring money to a crypto site from a Chase account. Uh, This is kind of wild, right, Matt? It looks like this is going to affect all of their 1.6 million customers. And as far as I understand, JP Morgan launched Chase Bank UK via a, as a mobile app-based service in the UK about two years ago. So it's been a short time running and they're they're already going through this process of uh, banning crypto transactions. Yeah, and I think, yeah, they, they launched two years ago. It's really, they've only just started, in all honesty, this past year, um, starting to, like, really get the word out about Chase. Chase is obviously enormous in, in the U.S., especially on the West Coast, right? Um, <clears throat> nowhere near as big in the U.K. yet, right? But, like, you know, J.P. Morgan, pretty pretty big company. They uh, And Chase is a big brand globally. They, <clears throat> this is really... Um, 
it's it's disappointing. But what I will say is the this is not just Chase that are, that are doing this in the UK. The difference here is that Chase are openly saying and setting the precedent here of saying like, hey, yeah, no, just anything digital assets, we're, we're blocking. The problem that is happening in the, the UK and it's um, there's been a lot of discussion, not just in the world of crypto, but the ability for banks to just close accounts, to block transactions um, without really any explanation um and you know I've, I've personally as someone who has been in the crypto space right for a, for a number of years I, and spent a big chunk of the past few years being paid in my salary in 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 crypto and uh yeah i've had two separate occasions where a bank has just closed my account completely with no explanation and it was wow clear. oh my yeah, god oh, yeah i i've been i've been completely debanked in one of those situations, I banked with the bank in question for 15 years. And uh, after a couple of modest-sized transactions from a well-known crypto exchange, I got a letter in the post that came to me, along with a check for my balance that said, yeah, your bank account is being closed, and uh, you can never bank with us again, basically was the TLDR. Uh, you will not be given an explanation. <laughs> and when I tried to call up, et cetera, you know, it was like, oh, no, we can't, we don't need to give you an explanation. This is what's happening. Um, it's a huge issue in the UK. Wow. Um, unreal. And for you, Matt, like in the UK, do you have a, a lot of banks to choose from? Like, do you have, for example, no. local credit unions? Okay. So you're having to deal with like large entities and there's probably only so many accounts that you can have closed before you're in like a really, you know, shaky problem, right? hundred percent. So, so the banking system in the UK is just, <clears throat> it is almost the opposite of the US in that pretty much every bank is a national bank, right? So you have a very small number. You, like, there is no regional banks in the UK. Um, so in in the sense that I remember when I first came to the US and I'd like, I got, uh, I think like a Charles Schwab account, right? Something like that. Still a huge bank. But then it was like, oh, I can't like access this from certain areas of the US because they don't have a presence there. It's like really, it's, it's foreign to anyone in, in Britain because everything is a is a national bank but yeah you're talking i mean okay there's probably like the, a little tail end I, i'll be generous and say there's 15 banks to choose from something like that so yeah like it's it's very very difficult and it creates real problems when you're thinking about just okay well i'm going to send a transaction whenever i fund my account this and this i will say is and in any ex exchange I've ever done this. Whenever I put cash in, I get a phone call immediately from my bank asking me to explain why. Whenever I take money out, I get a message very, very quickly and everything gets frozen. And it's just like, it's it's crazy. And I've experienced this over multiple banks. Wow. Absolutely wild. I mean, to your point, I was reading, yeah, uh, this is not the only case of a UK bank cracking down on customers buying crypto. Uh, Nationwide and HSBC yep. recently applied daily limits for buyers 
and restricted credit cards from making crypto purchases. And even outside of the UK, uh, Santander, which is a Spanish bank, last year said that it would block UK customers from sending real-time payments to crypto exchanges. So it makes you wonder, why are they doing this? Well, in the case of JP Morgan's Chase Bank UK, uh, which this is the most recent occurrence of this, they cited, quote, an increase in the number of crypto scams targeting UK customers. And they said that it was, quote, done to protect our customers and keep their money safe. They continued to say, quote, crypto scams are part of a wider epidemic of fraud, which accounted for more than 40 percent of all reported crimes in England and Wales last year. I think that that 40 percent is probably referring to fraud, not to crypto scams. Right. I mean, right. At least I hope not. <laughs> and it's just it's just kind of it's just it's it, it, the irony in some of this as well, that, you know, JP Morgan, one of the largest asset managers in the world <clears throat> that almost certainly facilitate the purchase of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and will no doubt have a Bitcoin ETF when everyone eventually has that um, in, in the coming kind of year or so, like for this to be the case. And this only makes the problem around scams worse because then people have to figure out other alternative ways to on and off ramp like what are you going to do if you have a big chunk of your your assets held in crypto um an enormous uh, percentage now of the us and the uk at least own some cryptocurrency um you know just blocking the the rails just causes more and more issues and i think that is that is a problem. I think the reality here is that the retail banks don't want to be the ones that have to figure out this challenge. And instead of actually tackling this and doing a better job of filtering out what is a fraudulent, what is not fraudulent transaction, I mean, literally transactions coming from registered, regulated crypto exchanges why would you possibly need to block those? These are regulated entities. In the UK, we have very clear regulation, right? Like you you have to have um, the correct licensing to operate in the UK, whether that be an EMI license or a VASP license, you have to have those. So, you know, we we have these in, in place for a reason. Why would you need to then create this next level of regulation at the the retail banking level that's just going to cause more and more problems for everyday people and freeze them out of their assets it it as you can probably tell it, it frustrates me a lot i mean it just sets the uk back a huge amount especially as the um i i i am hesitant to call it the leadership the government uh, in charge of this country um as inept as they are they've made many public statements that they are going to be investing in and making UK a place that is crypto friendly. I am yet to see any signs of that being the case. And this just further cements that with one of the world's largest financial institutions, simply just putting a, a big kind of uh, FU in the, in the face of uh, all of their, their UK customers. Yeah, it's really unsettling. And I, I would say, you know, oh, well, if uh, one bank isn't going to accept crypto transactions, then that's an opportunity for another bank and the free market will figure it out. But we're not talking about a free market here. We're talking about a very controlled, regulated, nationalized space. So mm-hmm. it does make you wonder, you know, if all, say, 15 or, or 20 in the long tail uh, banking entities in the UK were to 
uh, go in the same direction with this, you know, what kind of option that leaves you with. And I think you're right. Actually, what it does is it exposes you to even more risk and fraud. So wild to see this happening. And, and I'll be interested to see if they if they rever- reverse course in the yeah. you know coming year, two years as uh, these sort of too big to fail banks start getting their their share of the pie with the Bitcoin ETFs and everything like that. Well, that that's that's going to be the thing, right, is <clears throat> all of these big retail banking institutions within the next five to 10 years are going to be major players in the crypto exchange world, right? You know, they're going to be having crypto offerings. They will almost certainly be um, supporting stablecoins, especially when we see CBDCs entering into their books. So all of this, I mean, there is a, there's, it's pretty easy to get your conspiracy theory hat on, on here. Right. But um, we'll, we'll hopefully see a change in direction in, uh, in this, in the the next year or so. But until then it, it does create some real, real challenges, but we'll keep an eye on things. Uh, they're not the only ones doing this in the UK. It has to has to be said, and uh, there's there's more guidance and regulation coming in the next two years with the European wide Mika license, which hopefully should get banks feeling a little bit better about some of this with more standardised guidance across Europe. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Austin, it's been a pleasure as always. Let's wrap this thing up, and I'll see you next week. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.